episode of the Formation Podcast. It's episode number 34. Um, the Euros is now in full swing, of course. We hope that anyone watching or listening has enjoyed the last week. I, I think it, it's just an absolute feast of football, isn't it? How can you not enjoy it as a football fan? Um, those watching on YouTube will probably already have noticed in the first 20 seconds that Harry is missing this week. Um, he's gone away for a few days to celebrate his 20th birthday. So, Harry, if you're tuning in, we, we hope you enjoy and don't have too much J2O, as always. Um, but to ensure that we kind of live up to the podcast name, we thought we can't go ahead with three. So we've recruited someone to sit in for Harry this week. That person is Brad Cox, a good friend of ours from uni. He's also a senior editor at Vavil UK, who we all write for. You you might have heard of it. He's got a little bit of a following with Manchester contingent on Twitter. Brad, thank you for coming on. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm great, mate. Very excited to make my formation debut. <laughs> We're excited for it as well. Um, make sure to follow Brad on Twitter. I think it's Brad J Cox underscore um, is the username. Maybe we'll get that on the screen, but... Um, yeah, make sure to follow him over there. Um, match day one of the Euros is complete at the time that we're recording this. Um, so before we get into kind of going through it group by group, because that's kind of what we want to do today, look back on what we've seen, um, but also look ahead to maybe what awaits us in the knockouts, even though they're a bit of time away. Before we get to that point, Devon, would you say that the tournament as a whole so far has lived up to your expectations we've only had four or five days of course but what have you made of it as a whole uh definitely i mean the uh the introduction to international football for me was i think really the the south africa in 2010 was the first one that i watched and it wasn't the greatest and then it seems to have got better and better per year and i think we've had some really exciting games and really intriguing ones and I think where we are currently now with our lives, this has been one that we've actually took more interest in other areas. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, because as you say there, with the, all, all of the coverage that surrounds a major tournament, I'm, I'm not sure we would have realised it in previous tournaments, what with who we're following on Twitter and everything else. So I think that's a fair point. Um, another thing to mention is fantasy football. Um, before I get on to mentioning a league code, Sam, I'll, I'll ask you, how's the first match day gone for you in terms of the fantasy world? You're shaking your head. You're not that impressed. Not good. Not good. Lukaku <laughs> saved me in the end from having an absolute nightmare because I had quite a few players that didn't start, like Neves and players like that who didn't even touch the pitch. So I had a few zero points in there. So looking to bounce back over the next week of football. Yeah, I, I think anyone with... Lukaku or Ronaldo did a pretty good job because I think they both got two, which meant 10 points, didn't it? Um, we have got a fantasy league. I put one together last minute before um, the first deadline. So you might have missed it. Um, it's on the official UEFA game. The code for that is 28BBYXBH02. It's a bit of a mouthful, I know. It's all in capitals. Um, I think even though we're a one match day and if you still wanted to join, then go ahead and join it. Um, so, yeah, feel free to get involved with that. I think as things stand top of the league, I think I do sit top of the league. I didn't want to. Sure. I'm just going to go over that very quickly. Um, in second place, the name of the team is um, Leave My Arse Alona, which I thought... Um, <laughs> 
good good in, good invention from whoever that was um i don't actually know who that is but there you go there's a shout out um he's in well second done. one place below me so um on with the episode now i've, I've mentioned enough nonsense there um as i said we're, we're going to try and dilute every group kind of what we've seen over the last few days um starting off with group a the tournament kicking off last friday of course um with turkey facing italy in rome um and i think several people brad probably had high hopes for the italians before a ball was kicked and they probably lived up to expectations with their first display they were pretty impressive weren't they yeah, they, they certainly were, but there's also a lot of people kind of thought that Italy didn't have the superstars in their squad this year. They didn't have the Andrea Perlos, the Buffons that they've had in the past. Uh, but you can never write off an, an Italy side, especially with a manager like Roberto Mancini, you know. The defensive, the defensive abilities that they always have, they bring into a tournament is excellent. Um, and, you know, people who watch Syria will understand that, you know, Insigne and Immobile just combine excellently and uh, especially in this Italian squad. And we saw that. And uh, a lot of people, you know, were back in Turkey to, to potentially cause an upset. You know, there was a lot of talk about them being a real, real dark horse. Uh, but I think Italy pretty much put them in their place on Friday night. You know, 3-0 victory kind of says it all, especially in a group stage. You'd, you'd expect Italy to, to top that group now after, after an impressive start. Yeah, absolutely right. And it, it's interesting you say there about um, how they're not a team of individuals. You, you know, you can really see the team ethic there. And I, I think that kind of shone through with that last goal, even though it originated from a mistake. The, the link-up there was quite impressive to see, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was, especially because in that in that group, you know, you've got Switzerland, Wales and Turkey and you're kind of looking at where they're going to face an issue in this group. What Who could cause them an issue? And you would have said probably Turkey most likely to cause them an issue. Um, so, to, to you know, to beat them 3-0, get that three plus goal difference as well is always big in a, in a group uh, in a group. Um, but you've got to be looking at probably Switzerland will cause them could cause them an issue. Uh, I think I think they'll be too strong for Wales. So I think they're definitely favourites to top this group. Sam, would you agree with that? Do you think Italy should coast through as group winners? Yeah, it was a very impressive performance. There was obviously a lot of pressure on them going into the game, being the opening game of the tournament at home in Rome. But they were just brilliant, especially in the high press in the second half. They completely suffocated Italy. And players that Brad already mentioned, Signia Mobile. And also Spinazzola, they led the line excellently. And like I said, Turkey was probably their biggest challenge on paper going into the group. So I'd say they're comfortable for the top of the group, yeah. And Devon, I think kind of after the game, if you'd taken maybe just one look at Twitter, then it would appear that anyone who was backing Turkey before had kind of written them off already after this performance, which ultimately wasn't a good one but they still came up against an Italian side who, who looked really strong so are we wrong to write them off already we, we know they've got Wales next up but do you see them bouncing back I do think they have a general uh, generally good squad and um, I think that it will maybe a little bit of a case of you know the first game of the tournament all eyes on them and they got a little bit nervous obviously still quite an unknown entity but um, I think they knew what kind of game it would be like. I think they knew that Italy would um, just have all the pressure, keep the ball, 
I don't think they expected it to be as intense as it was, though. They kind of sat back looking to break, but Italy completely just nullified that just by simply pushing them further in, making them chase it and just passing around them. I mean, there was the triangles in every area of the pitch, uh, especially down that left-hand side. As Sam mentioned, Spinazzola was fantastic. He then played it to Locatelli, who then either put Insigne through as an inside forward or he'd give it back to Spinazzola on the on the left to whip one in for Chiro Mobile. And uh, overall, I think um, there weren't too many uh, great performances from uh, other areas of the pitch. There was a couple of times where, uh, is it Selig? He got out of pressure by sprinting forward, but there was no one else to support him there. Just Yilmaz on the end of, you know, the half chances, which uh, the, the back two who are vastly experienced have uh, just swept that up straight away. Mm-hmm. And they're... Uh... They're due to face Wales next up, which is in Baku. In fact, it's this afternoon. It's um, on the day that we're recording this. Um, and from what I read, it seems as if it's almost going to be like a home game for Turkey. So, Devon, do you think that could be what makes the difference for them? I know we don't expect Wales to pose quite the same challenge, but even so, any sort of advantage could help them. I think it's more favourable if they were playing it when playing Wales than Switzerland. I think they've got the opportunity there to to bounce back against the side that, you know, even against Switzerland struggled to cope against teams that were on the high press. And uh, even though they got a point out of it, they they were lucky not to not to have lost that game. Um, and I think it's probably I think Turkey have got enough firepower from you know coming from deep into Yilmaz that. They could actually cause uh, Wales a bit of a threat. Before we move on to the uh, the other game in Group A, has anyone else been maybe a little bit disappointed that we didn't see the uh, the mini Volkswagen for any more of the games? Did did any was anyone else hoping that that would become a little? Yeah, I think know, most of us thought that'd be a theme of the tournament, but uh, obviously not. So. I don't know. Maybe it would have overdone it a little bit before Austria, North Macedonia, or something <laughs> like. That. Maybe maybe it's too much of a fanfare. I don't know. To be fair, I think the Volkswagen had more possession than Sweden did. Um, <laughs> his little cameo. Very good. Um, the second game in Group A. Then we've mentioned them there. Wales kicked off their tournament. Um, they managed to get a draw in Baku against Switzerland. Um, do you think they deserved it, Brad? Did they play to their best? They probably didn't, did they? No, I, I don't think they did. I think I think they will be disappointed in in their performance, and I, I think that they could have done a little bit more on the attacking front. Um, you know, at times they they kind of lacked a little bit of inspiration, I'd say, uh, and and they've got the players they've got the players to do it as well. Um, and I think, you know, obviously with that game and how it panned out, that they'll just be disappointed that one, they couldn't prevent a clean, they couldn't keep a clean sheet because I think the defense is, is rather, rather good. I think, I think they are quite defensively sound, but they just didn't take advantage of in the areas where I thought that they, they could have shined really. I wanted to ask you as well, Brad, about um, Dan James, who you've obviously seen a lot of for. Uh, Man United, and he seemed really to be Wales's main outlet when he when he got that chance on the counter attack. Um, how how do you see that going for him in the next few games? Because we we saw him subbed off, and he he looked really frustrated. But they have to use him, don't they? If he looks so strong, 
Yeah, he, he, they have to use him, especially because when he's been playing in the United team that do tend to counter-attack, it suits his game uh, suits his game massively. But I've always said this about Daniel James, is when he starts a game, you don't notice him. When he comes on as a sub, you notice him. Uh, especially, you know, with Wales, they might have their backs to the wall at some stages, and you need that bit of electric pace uh, to to just get you up the up the pitch, you know, just to, to relieve some pressure. So to see him, you know, frustrated to come off, I think is always a good sign. You know, players don't want to be getting taken off, and it shows that his his mentality is right. You know, there's, there's sometimes in the season for United where he's been very frustrating for a lot of Manchester United fans because of his mm-hmm. lack of end product. Uh, but if he if he can start to you know bring that into his game, especially this could be the tournament for him, you know, to, to put his, put his name out there even, even more. Uh, but like, like you said, I think, I think he's got to be the, the outlet for them to, to connect with Bale in the middle and, and more get some crosses in and uh, kind of pose a different kind of threat. Yeah. And um, we've spoken about the likes of Insigne and Immobile, you know, taking full advantage of kind of the mistakes that Turkey made. So, Sam, do you think it's now time for Gareth Bale, who had a bit of a quiet one against Switzerland, to step up this time in a game where Wales are going to really need a result? Absolutely, yeah. And he was obviously key to their success in the 2016 tournament. And he's got a, he has got a step, a step up as their talisman. And it was obviously a big call for Rob Page at the beginning, what, what sort of system he was going to go for. He's obviously played the 3-4-3 in a couple of recent matches, but he went the 4-2-3-1 with Kiefer Moore as the, as the central player and obviously it, it sort of paid off because Kiefer Moore scored the equaliser but I think it sort of nullified Bale's threat also where he had to play a bit deeper so well, it'll be interesting to see if Rob Page sticks with that going forward Yeah, a word on Switzerland as well before we move on Devon um, Brilliant Bolo definitely looked their star man but how did he not score more than just the one that he did. He, he, he was on fire, wasn't he? Uh, this was a conversation me and um, my friend Connor when we was watching the game in his summer house um, had, and he said that Mbolo is, is absolutely fantastic. And um, as I explained, he's never been really prolific. He's He's been more of that target man um, in a powerhouse on the back too. And I think that Switzerland identified Chris Metham as a, as a weakness in that back line because... Um, I think we saw it against Albania. He was up against uh, one of the Albanian forwards and he really, really looked out of place. And every time Nethan uh, uh, had a hold of Mbolo, he didn't make any effort. Uh, he didn't make any difference because he just steamrolled past him. And y- yes, he probably matched, um, it, his misses were matched with two good saves from um, from Daniel Ward as well. But um, overall, he, he could have easily quite... Uh, quite easily have come away with three goals there. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, how do we see this group going? Then? I, I think we, we're we pretty um, decided that we think Italy are going to win it. Do you see Wales getting a result against Turkey? Will it be a draw? How do you reckon? It's tough to call, really, because obviously, like you mentioned, Turkey will have a, a big support for that game in Baku against Wales. And I don't think they Wales particularly tore up any trees against Switzerland. I think they were a bit lucky in the end. So it, it really depends how that game goes, to be honest. I think it's still tough to call. I agree with you, Sam. I, I think Turkey are going to 
step up. I think they're going to live up to that tag of everyone calling them dark horses, but we shall see. Um, moving on then to Group B, um, and the first game in this group will um, sadly be remembered not for the result, um, but for the incident that happened. I, I, I say sadly, thankfully, um, as we sit here a few days after it, it in, a, in anything, it, it, it's a happy story because of what the outcome was. Um, but it was a pretty horrible moment during the game, of course, um, 40 minutes in when Christian Eriksen, the Danish midfielder, collapsed with nobody around him. Um, the scenes were fairly horrendous to watch. Um, you know, it's just hard, hard to know what to think in that scenario, isn't it? But thankfully... Um, Ericsson was resuscitated on the pitch. I think it's been confirmed since that it was a cardiac arrest that he suffered. Um, but thanks to the great work of the medics, um, they got him back round. And it, it was a real relief, wasn't it, Devon, to get that good news? Um, well, obviously it was. I, that's not really a question, but you know what I mean. It was just one of them where everything stood still and you, you almost forget what you're doing in that moment. Um, I, I was actually out and missing, I missed most of the, the first half of that game anyway. And we, we, we just sat um, at a golf uh, driving range, crouched around the phone and everyone there just stopped uh, in complete shock and panic. And I think the, the it's one of them where you just don't know how, what's, how you're going to react until it happens. And you, you got players like Simon and Cashier and, and, uh, Castro Schmeichel that have got a lot of plaudits and deservedly so for how they reacted to uh, it going off but um, obviously they were a bit force of hand to carry on but the, the spirit showed um, to actually you know take it uh, and continue with the game uh, showed a lot of you know uh, spirit but you know just thankfully it's alright because it was just a horrible moment and I don't think the, the BBC covered themselves in any glory with with what ensued. Yeah, I think it's it's difficult. It's a difficult one for them, isn't it? Because I think they said that all of the footage is controlled by a world fee, but then I, I suppose they're also in control of what they show and what they don't show. So it, it's hard to know how they would have done it differently. I'm not too sure. What well, surely, meant... surely there'd be a button where they could just switch it straight back to the studio. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right, but I I also I kind of think there's a place for maybe defending them as well in that people didn't want to be left in the dark about what was going on. Although I suppose by that point, kind of everyone did know what was going on, didn't they? I think um, they would have done it a little bit differently looking back now. But obviously, heat of the moment probably is is a situation that we don't see often at all in football. Just a shocking situation, maybe. They, their reaction was probably justified in a sense. Yeah, I, I think that the footage, for example, of um, Ericsson's girlfriend or wife was not necessary at all, as you say, Sam. Um, there is, of course, um, a debate here that came um, when the game resumed, as Deva mentioned, because the game got back underway and was concluded less than two hours after the incident actually happened. Um and Denmark, you'd have to say, before the incident happened, they were right on top of Finland. They might not have scored, but I think it's fair to say they were going to. 
after the game, um, quite understandably, they just were not in the right frame of mind. Brad, do you think it was right that they had to do that? Would, would they have been better off? I think someone said that they had the option for 12 o'clock the next day. Would they be better? Would they have been better off doing that? Or is it all hindsight? Yeah, I think I think that's Kasper Schmeichel who came out and said, uh, oh, no, it might have been Peter Schmeichel, sorry. I think it was Peter Schmeichel who came out and said that they were they either had to play it on that night, which is what they did do, or they had to play it at 12 o'clock the next day. And, and he actually said both of those options were not were not good enough from UEFA. He he didn't didn't like the fact that those were the only two options. Uh, but you know UEFA, you know, a situation like this just so unpredictable. You know, you don't put you don't put any timestamps into your into your calendar for a situation like this to happen. Um, do I think they would have been better off playing at twelve o'clock? Who knows? You know, that's such a such a difficult question that you only know as a player. You'll only know as a player when answering that question because you only know yourself if you're ready to play. Um, and you know, a horrible situation. Maybe twelve o'clock. It just would have been the same thing because you. I, I don't even. Did we know that Ericsson was okay by twelve o'clock the next day? I'm not too sure we did. Uh, um, but I think the news came out after, did it? After twelve o'clock? Because I was thinking. Basically, if they knew he was all right, maybe they would have, you know, picked themselves up a bit more for, for that that kickoff time. Uh, but yeah, tough tough question. I mean, the, the players would have only known. And I think Hoiberg's penalty showed how they how they all felt, you know, just diminished. Yeah, I I think I read somewhere that um, a few hours after kickoff, no, a few hours after the incident, so before they got back underway, they, they had a FaceTime call with Ericsson or something like that when, when he told them that they should go and play. But, Sam, do you think they were really in, in the right state to do that? That they might, have, they might have said it to themselves, but really that they must have still been numb from that incident because, yeah. it, you know, it was really traumatic, wasn't it? You do, you do get the feeling that they were coaxed, coaxed into it, pressured into it a little bit by by the authorities in the end and they probably weren't in the in the right state of mind to be making that decision for themselves but like Brad said it's hard to speak for them like only they would really know how they're feeling in the moment and the game obviously went on the result wouldn't have mattered too much to them in the end knowing that Ericsson was all right so as as you say there that the main priority here is that Ericsson is okay um, but in terms of Denmark's chances of now getting through, the result could be damaging, Devon. Um, I think they face Belgium next. And obviously, without Ericsson as well, it's going to be a big blow. Do you hold out that much hope for them? Maybe that can be their motivation to do it for him? Possibly, but I think, in like we said, in a situation like this, even though he is all right, he's still going to feel a little bit you know, numb from the whole experience. And it could just... I mean, the, I think when when Finland scored, the normally if if, if that were in a pro, like that hadn't happened, Cassius Michael catches that or at least pushes it away. You could tell it was straight at him. He, he just flopped over, and you could tell that he's, he he weren't in it at all, and it, it it'll it'll carry through, I think. And I mean, it's a good win for Finland, but again, it's it's a bit like when we were talking about the going through the, the COVID season is that it'll always feel a little bit like an asterisk after what happened. And again, if Denmark go out, I don't think they'll they'll care necessarily because 
more importantly, Ericsson's all right. Yeah, and it, it was, I think, a, a bit of a difficult one for the Finland players when they, they did score that goal because the, the celebrations were muted and quite respectfully too. Um, moving on then to the second game in Group B, which was on Saturday evening, um, with Belgium kicking their tournament off with a pretty comfortable win in St. Petersburg. Um, Sam, the home crowd in this one, it, it didn't seem to have much of an impact at all, did it? Belgium were just... It was pretty seamless, the performance. Um, some nice goals in there as well. Yeah. Obviously, it being sort of the last chance of the golden generation, there's a lot of pressure on on Belgium and Roberto Martinez as well. But Belgium having scored 40 goals in qualifying, led Romelu Lukaku leading the line with the season he's had for it. It was always going to go one way, and it did. And it was just a brilliant performance from Belgium, really. Brad, do you think this is similar to Group A and that Belgium will probably run away with it yeah almost definitely I mean you look at you look at the squad and they've got the, they've got a spine everything every squad I look at you just I look at a centre-back midfielder and attacker and you know they've got the centre-backs in Alderweireld and Vertonghen with great experience you've got Dendonka and Tielemans who've got Premier League experience you know may not be the the you know Dendonka may not be the best for his club at times but that Premier League experience will always kick in in a big tournament like that and then you've got Mertens, Lukaku, Carrasco. I think that front three is quite underrated, to be, to be honest, because, you know, Carrasco, he had a very tough time over when he was playing in, in Asia, uh, but he's come back and he's really, really turned it, turned it on his head. And uh, Mertens, I mean, the goals don't, they speak for themselves in, in Italy. And like Sam said, the season Lukaku has had, you know, a lot of people forget how good Romelu Lukaku was for Manchester United as well. His goal scoring record was, was what a striker would have wanted. And, you know, some, some United fans may, may have felt that they, they they let him go too soon. And, and I think ever since that, he's had a, you know, point to prove. And boy, has he done it. And now he's doing it in the European Championship as well. So, yeah, definitely back Belgium to, to win this group comfortably. Yeah, and Lukaku as well, as you mentioned there, um, starting off his hunt for the Golden Boot with two goals. Devon, do you think he'll maybe see the group stages as a good chance to pull ahead a little bit in, in that race because he's got Denmark and Russia. No, not Denmark and Russia. Denmark and Finland still to come. So there's more goals to be had there, isn't there? Definitely. I mean, as we've alluded to last episode, it is that sometimes a top scorer doesn't get that many. I mean, in 2016, we, the, the top scorer was... Uh, Griezmann with with four, I think, and the year before that in 2012, there was about five different goal scorers all on three. And as we've already seen, um, I think that two is the most out of people have scored. And Lukaku, again, in his, his stellar um, form that he's showing, would probably back himself to score in every match. And you, you, you look at where Belgium come through, everything comes through him and he's on the end of everything. And even when Munier scored, he had a little bit of involvement in that. And I just think he's, he's unstoppable, especially with the seasons he, season he has had, as Sam said. They'll only get better with De Bruyne still to come back as well. Probably Axel Witzel coming to the team as well. He's not played a lot, but he is important to them as well. Obviously, they were worried a little bit when Castagna went off. I think he had a fractured eye socket in the end. But like Devon alluded to there, Munier came on and scored and assisted. So that would have alleviated any worries. 
the, the problem with Munier is that he's shown his frailties from his time at PSG and at Dortmund. I think ter- he's terribly, uh, terrible defensively, but he does spring up with a couple of magic moments. And I think in 2018, we saw that he was a competent defender and attacker in that one. I just don't know what's happened in his club form, but he's, um, it, I mean, Castagna, it wasn't a nice one either, was it? No, certainly not. Um, we will move on shortly with Group C. Group C then, that began with Austria against North Macedonia. Um, when was that? That was after the England game, wasn't it? So this might have been a game which a few people missed if they were out of the pub. And I, I think it was it was maybe one people looked at and they were like, oh, we'll give that one a miss. Um, but it was still one that was worth watching. It was Austria who managed to secure their first ever victory at the European Championships. Um they were big favourites to win that game. But I think North Macedonia, Deva, maybe surprised a few people with their performance. It seemed they competed fairly well in that one. Competed is probably an understatement. I think they came out with both both fists up. Um, it was more of a fight rather than a football match. Um, I, I think North Macedonia really got under Austria's skin and it, it wrongly seemed... You know, Austria were negative. Don't get me wrong. When we like, like when we played them other week in a friendly, uh, they were they were negative then. But I think eventually the quality kind of rose to the top rather than. And I think that it was probably part and parcel with North Macedonia getting a little bit tired. I think they've done a little bit too much running about and in spells in that first half, especially they did look like, you know, they could take the lead, but. Um, <laughs> I think overall Austria just looked the the more the better. Um, Marcel Sabitzer as well being the main difference. He was there taking a lot of the uh, a lot of the hits, but also giving it out. And his quality on the ball is absolutely. I mean, he's he's highly rated anyway. But he was literally everywhere. I'm not sure which position he was supposed to be in. But um, overall, just you know, probably an encouraging start from North Macedonia. Um, it looks like to be. On the face of it, it looked like a group that everyone sort of pushed out of the way, but starting to shape up to be quite entertaining this one, um, especially if uh, the uh, North Macedonia's youngest ever goal scorer in a European Championship scorer in Pandev um, <laughs> can, can spice it up a little bit. Yeah, and you mentioned there the, the quality kind of making the difference, and I, I think it was for the second Austrian goal, that David Alaba cross from the left flank that... That was the difference. He was it? everywhere. I mean, yeah, Dev talks and... about Savitsa being everywhere, but Oliver was playing that like sweeper role. But like you say, he ended up wide left for that to put that cross in for the second goal. So he was put the country on his back really in that game. Mm-hmm. I think Oliver's done that for years though for Austria, hasn't he? Him and him and Savitsa are kind of like just they'll they'll set up a formation of of nine and then go right. You two just play wherever you want. Because they'll create anything. I mean, the the ball over for Liner in in the in the first half. I mean, that were a tremendous folly, wasn't it? And obviously the ball for Gregovic. Um, both of them just being key in each goal. And uh, on Altovic, apart from George's mishap on the on the TikTok, um, rounded it off perfectly. Uh, which for some reason on Altovic just looked completely miserable that like he'd scored. And you know, but you know. Fair play. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought we were going to get through this without mentioning that mishap, but fair enough. Um, 
we'll, we'll get onto the TikTok at the end, actually. Make sure you get over there because there's lots coming out on there each day. Um, but no, I, I don't think the Arnautovic celebration surprised too many people who've seen him play regularly because uh, he's a little bit of a hothead, isn't he? Um, but the second game in this group was very entertaining. Um, Five-goal thriller between the Netherlands and Ukraine. Um, Brad, do you think it was probably the first, the, no, the best game of the first batch so far? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, by by far the best game. I mean, but you know the up, ups and downs that both teams had to had to endure was just so excellent to watch. And I think a lot of people have kind of glossed over the fact that Liverpool are losing Genie Wijnaldum this summer. Um, and I think you know this game kind of proved that he they're going to miss him a lot. They really are going to miss him. Um, and just you know getting off the Euro topic just slightly, but PSG have got themselves an unbelievable midfielder in Wijnaldum and, and a midfielder they've not had in a very, very long time. So I think it's it's very much so Barcelona's loss and PSG's gain because he showed against Ukraine what, what he's so capable of, you know, his finishing, his, his it, it, the way he dominates the game in midfield, you know, he can bring the ball forward, he can be back winning tackles as well, uh, you know, and the Netherlands are, are, looking, are looking good. Um, especially with Memphis Depay as well. You know, they've got threats all over the pitch, which is which is always interesting to see. But then again, Ukraine caused them issues. Uh, I think for the Netherlands, if they are to, you know, I, I do think they'll get out of this group stage, whether they top it or not is, is, a, different, is a different matter. Um, but if they do get out of this group stage, I think it'll be defensively is, is where they, where they have, to, have to tighten up if they are going to cause any true threats, you know, with no Van Dijk. It, it, I mean, that affects every team. We saw how it affected Liverpool in the domestic season, but even more so with a national side when you lose one key player like that. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe Liverpool will realise how much they miss Vijnaldum when Kenny McLean cuts through them on the opening day of the season. Uh, but we're not talking about that. Um, should Frank de Boer, the Netherlands manager, should he be concerned that his team seemed to be, you know, completely in control of that game? And then it, it felt like you clicked your fingers and suddenly the lead was gone. You know, it, it, Ukraine looked like they weren't even in it, Sam, and suddenly they were level. Yes, yes and no, because under him, I think he had 11 games in charge before the tournament. They've been pretty inconsistent. I think they had five wins, four, four draws. So I think I think he'll be happy that they got underway with a, with a win and they showed the grit and determination when Ukraine did level it in such a short space of time. They showed the grit and determination to get the win in the end with Dumfries scoring the winner. But like, like Brad mentioned, the defence will be a worry if they get past this group stage it will be a worry when they come up against some of the better teams yeah Devon you in agreement with that yeah I mean I don't trust Frank Boer at all um, as I voiced my concern previously on the big predictions when we did it before um, I think there's a, there's a lot of teams in this tournament which um, defensively look shocking which I'm all for Let's make it a high-scoring affair, and let's get let's get some goals in there. Um, but I mean, I mean, I, I don't even think Ukraine looked that bad either. It was just certain areas where they, I think they got overturned in midfield defensively as well. And um, I mean, I'm just going to say that it was just an entertaining game to sit back and just watch, wasn't it? Especially mm -hmm. after the successes of the early kickoff. It was weird because the Ukraine goalkeeper Bushan, I think he's called. He had a great first half, then the second half he couldn't keep anything out 
Like you got you got something to all of them, but didn't keep any of them out in the end. So it's a bit of a weird one that. Yeah, certainly. Well, I, I have to say, I think as good as the game was, I, I think it was boosted by Ali McCoyst on commentary. I, I, I do think yeah. that's proven popular on treat. Twitter also. Um, moving on then to Group D, and I, I can't believe it's taken us this long to mention England, but I get that that's, that's in the way that we've done it. Um, but England did win their opening game. It's the first time they've ever won their opening game at the European Championships. Um it was probably the game that before the group stage, England fans were most worried about, but they've come through it. Brad, what did you make of it? How impressed were you? Yeah, really impressive from England and uh, quite disappointing from Croatia, I have to say. I don't think I don't think they did anything really in the game. Uh, and, you know, how good was it to, you know, be back in pubs watching the game? It was absolutely excellent, you know. Throwbacks to 2016 and for older people than us you know, 2012s and Euro 96. So, uh, <laughs> you know, absolutely great scenes in the pubs. Um, but, you know, whilst we're actually on Group D, I'll, I'll give, you my, give you my selection. Uh, I think Czech Republic are going to make the quarterfinals. That's my bold statement. I, don't, I think they're going to beat Croatia. And I think Croatia could finish bottom of this group. Do you oh. really? Well, but we should yeah, say, yeah. But Brad, Brad, Brad was teeing up, teeing it up um, while we, while we weren't recording. He was saying he had a bold prediction, and there we have it. Um, we'll come on to Czech Republic in a minute. I just wanted to mention with England the bold selection calls that Southgate made. Um, you know, the team was linked earlier in the day. There was a lot of um, react. There was a, a lot of bad reactions to England, it. Yeah. Just Absolutely, like so sad. much excitement for the first game, and then the team comes <laughs> out, and then it's doom and gloom. But <laughs> Sam, how much credit does Southgate deserve? Because I think Gary Lineker mentioned it on the coverage, but all of the bold calls that he made seemed to pay off, didn't they? Yeah, the strangest one was going with Trippier at left back, and we had two actual left backs who had had brilliant seasons, and Chill and Luke Shaw. But you know he had a he had a pretty good game and he has played there on a on a couple of occasions for England and he showed that he's he is quite comfortable in that position still, and obviously Sterling in for Grealish and he scored the winner. Uh, Phillips in midfield he was brilliant alongside Rice. I wasn't sure that they, those two could play together in the midfield. I thought they were a little bit too similar, but Phillips showed he can play in that more progressive role. And for the goal it was a brilliant little mazy run and and through ball to for Sterling to score the winner. So. I think everyone was impressed with his performance in particular at the end of the game. No, absolutely right. And I hold my hands up when I saw that team. I was one of the people, not not publicly, but um, behind closed doors, I was saying, what the hell is he doing starting Phillips? And I was proven wrong, as were a lot of other people. Um, Devon Brad mentioned there how Croatia maybe didn't live up to the expectations. But do you still think this result sends a bit of a message out to the other big nations that England are here and maybe mean business, or am I overreacting by saying that? I think that, that there's a little bit of England bias in that, George. I think there were areas where we were a little bit too relaxed, um, especially Carl Walker, he looked like he just you know, came for laugh uh, in, in some of that. But um, no, no I, I completely agree. I think England's biggest strength with England was that they actually had the game plan there and executed it because they, they, they knew that 
Croatia's strongest point is that midfield three of, of Modric, Brozovic and Kovacic. Um, and so what, what Southgate did was let's not play through midfield. Let's get Rice and Phillips a little bit deeper, get it into the areas where Sterling and Foden really cause havoc. And I think Kane, even though people really slagged off Kane for no involvement, I think that'll probably be in, you know, watching it in a pub from a distance. But if you look at it closely, he really did drag those two centre-halves out of position a lot. Um, especially, uh, is, it, is it Dida or Duda, who just didn't look like... Um, he looked like he was more focused on Kane after his threats in the 2018 World Cup, um, which actually caused them more problems. Um, and an also impressed, uh, impressive thing for me was how uh, Rice and um, Mount, and then a supporting defender as well, sort of closed down the... Uh, not a supporting defender, Sterling sort of closed down Modric on that right-hand side. They uh, England's left, um, they stood... The, the three players in front of him forcing him to go back and it was that as soon as he turned then the high press started and and it, I think Southgate ticked all his boxes um, it'll just be interesting to see as uh, Brad gave him high praise is that how are we going to deal with Czechs, um, the Czechs' uh, dominance in the air and how are we going to get past the very stubborn back line Yeah but I think lots of optimism on the whole among England fans going into their next two group games. Um, Scotland, of course, is the next one, but the Scots were beaten by the Czech Republic at Hampden Park. Brad, you've given us your prediction. Um, I'm going to give you the floor now. What did you see from the Czech Republic in this game that made you think they can go far? I saw, I saw a team that played together and I saw a team that, that, that knew what the manager wanted them to do. And they, they had a game plan. They carried it out against Scotland. And at times, it did look as though it kind of was sink, soak up a bit of the pressure and hit them on the break. But it was the, it was the organised chaos at the back that I was really impressed with by the Czech Republic. You know, when they were under, under some threat by Scotland, I think they didn't panic. And for, for a side that, you know, not many actually believe can do much, they've got that spine again. They've got that spine. They've got Kalas at the back, who is a, um, is a really underrated centre-back, actually. And also Kufal at right back. Suchek, we all know how good he has been. But now they've added the goal scorer as well with Schick. No one expected Schick to pull off, to pull off those two goals. And no one expected him to score that goal. You know, that will probably be the goal of the tournament. And if we see a better goal than that, then fair play, because it'll be very, very tough to beat that. But I think the thing about this Czech Republic side is they've added the goal scorer that not many people thought they had. They didn't think they were... A lot of people were wondering where they were, these this team was going to score goals, and Schick has now proven that you know he's not just a, a guy up top to to get a header in there. You know he he has got the skill to do it as well. And with Suchek bringing the ball forward, Kufal on the right, getting uh, getting crosses in, especially with Janko on the left wing as well. I just I just I was really impressed with him against Scotland. You know I thought I thought Scotland were going to be better. After I do think Scotland were going to be better than than they were, but Czech Republic were, were impressive. And, you know, not to go back to the England game, but I just, I think Croatia, I can't see goals in them. I can't see goals. Whereas Czech Republic, I see goals coming through Schick. And, you know, maybe, you know, if we're going out on a really bold note, Schick for the golden boot, I don't know. It's a potential. Maybe. I, 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 think, I think you've made a good argument for them there, though, though Brad. I, I think there's definitely good reasons behind it. But 
Sam, we should definitely mention Schick a little bit more. I think they they were bigging him up on the coverage before the game about his record in qualifying but I, I don't anyone quite expected him to be that good no and that that second goal was just 49.7 yards on it and that was just brilliant that angle from behind the goal that slightly zoomed out angle from behind the goal it shows how how wide the ball actually starts and swerves back in it's just absolutely brilliant but I think I did mention it in the last video with Scotland I think they're a big a bit pragmatic in their attacking approach and they lack that width going forward and and they did in this game I think Andy Robertson as the left wing back was the only one really getting forward into those attacking positions and providing that threat he obviously had that shot in the first half on the second half sorry but yeah it was a, it was a, it was a difficult difficult game for the Scots in the end I think it'll be a boost to see Kieran Tierney added back into the into the back five he's an important player for them I think I did slate Che Adams in the last video but I think they need to get him in for Lyndon Dykes I think it was a a naive performance from him really he missed that missed that chance which is a big one and could have got them back into the game but yeah difficult start for the Scots Devon shaking your head about Lyndon Dykes I think Scotland got it completely wrong with if you play Lyndon Dykes and Shea Adams together because they were playing footballs into into um, Dykes like uh, like Shea Adams would receive at Southampton and I think Dykes has worked best for QPR this season when partnered up obviously he struggled in the first half of the campaign and then when they brought Charlie uh, Austin in that's where he started to flourish when he had someone that had taken the goal scoring pressure off which Shea Adams would and he was there to you know win headers in the uh, win headers flick and flick-ons and you know really stretch the defence and I don't know why Scotland didn't play with that two up top um because other than that, as Sam uh, said, the width was a was an issue. Which it was from one side. I think the right um, the right wing was non-existent. Uh, but the left, obviously, you'd you'd hope that Tierney would have been the person supporting Robertson if he was there. Um, but overall, I think Scotland just um, the way they like to play with putting the three centre halves on the six yard box, tucking in. The, the wing backs when defending and also bringing the, the two centre midfielders uh, into the box as well to stop cutbacks is that you're going to invite pressure on and when you've got Schick there winning the headers in the area with, you know, Hanley, we, we know he's been competent this year with with um, <clears throat> with Norwich, as George will happily tell us, um, but there were one or two occasions where he, you know, Schick got an extra yard on him and getting inside and Scotland just looked like Scotland. Yeah, um, I think certainly there's room to improve for Scotland, but maybe it will come down to that last game against Croatia because I think really everywhere across the park, England should be beating them, even though Scotland is going to mean a lot to them. Um, One thing I've been a little bit annoyed by when I've seen people discussing um, Schick's goal is people analysing Marshall's um, starting position. Like, I kind of think with a goal like that, you, you've just got to look at the goal and say just just how brilliant it is. Like, who cares if, he, if he'd been 20 yards back? Like, he wasn't. So it was a brilliant hit. Um, anything I think, else to um, add? Go I'm going to say, I'm, I'm pretty sure one of the BB, uh, BBC Sport um, updates, or at least one of the updates from the website, must have had a Scottish reporter there because he said he had the simple task of putting it into an empty net. And I'm <laughs> thinking, 
sorry what <laughs> if it was I'd... if it was like if you carried the ball forward and then slotted it in with Marshall scraping to, to sort of block it fair enough but from there it was more like a rugby uh, rugby try rather than a, a simple task I did see that I think it might have been flash scores or, or one, yeah. one of those one of those score center apps but you're right that, I... that was a little bit ludicrous and I think the the also the, the puns of of and the the, the versatility of Schick's uh, um, name in in different headlines is also stretched. I think I wrote down my favourite, which was the Schick. Did you see that he must have left a foot like a traction engine uh, from Graham Smythe, the Yorkshire Evening Post writer, which I think topped it for me. I think I think they were only the other probably uh, Scotland up Schick's Creek, which was another favourite. That's very good. I, I hadn't heard the Alan Partridge one, but very nice indeed. Um, we'll move on then to Group E. Um, the first game in that group was between Poland and Slovakia. Say again. Group Sam. F, George. Group E, isn't it? Group E. Group E, yeah. It's group, group E. Sorry, it's group yeah. E. That's all right. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, Poland yeah, against Slovakia. And I, think, I think before the tournament, um, after they only qualified through the playoffs and, um, you know, they're in a relatively strong group. I think Slovakia have maybe been written off a little bit, Brad, by a few people, but, you know, they, they went toe-to-toe with Poland. They, they might have got a bit of luck with a red card, but they deserve their victory. Yeah, 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 they definitely did. And this is one of the games that I've watched on the BBC iPlayer, the, the match highlights, so I didn't actually catch the entire the entire game, but... From what from what the highlights were, I think the the liability for Poland was was the red card. Clearly, I mean that's obviously gonna gonna bring bring your performance down a little bit. But I think Krakowiak's always had that in him. He's always had that extra tackle going too far, little leaving a leg in. You know, he's always had that in his career. We've seen it in West Brom multiple times. Um, but the issue with Poland is everyone does it every single year. They've got Lewandowski. But they've got no one to get it. They've got no one to pass it to him. They've got no one to get it up there for him. And that's that's the big struggle. You know, plenty of people will have had Lewandowski in their fantasy team this this year because of the performance for, for his club. But you've got to remember who Bayern Munich have the ball given to him. You know that you know you don't have Click or Linity passing him the ball. You've got you've got plenty of other talent getting that ball up there for Lewandowski. And when when the chances arrive, Lewandowski will put the ball in the back of the net, but it's just whether those chances even get anywhere near Lewandowski. But yeah, like you said, Slovakia from, from the highlights looked looked solid, to be fair. They, they did look solid, you know, a bit, bit of luck with the Chesney goal, uh, but Skriniar getting up, uh, getting a header towards the end uh, from a corner. I think that that's why they're going to be a, going to be a threat, you know, Slovakia well known for their, well known for their robust, style of play you know being hard to break down being tough to beat uh but yeah i think i think slovakia are in a, in a good position especially in in a group that looks very very open you know spain, spain and sweden nil nil it's a very open group absolutely right and i think devon brab makes a very valid point there do, do you think poland were sort of too reliant on Lewandowski going into this game you you think the rest of their team that there's a few recognizable names but he's the standout isn't he and if you can't supply him then it just doesn't work yeah in hindsight all my predictions in the previous episode have, have come undone in that one I think I think Slovakia needs to take more credit for that though because they really 
they're, they're, even though they, I think they played with a back four, not a back three, but they just forced Lewandowski to drop deep and go wide just because, and they really restricted him where to where to move. And when he picked the ball up on the edge of the area, they were straight into his toes and, you know, like sort of prizing it away from them. And it, you just didn't have any sort of breathing space at all. There was always seemingly one player on him, just kind of marshalling him and telling him, right, you're going where we are. And as Brad said, the, the red card probably... It, it kind of summed up the whole performance from from Poland. I think it was just lackluster, and um, we said that they'd be quite negative, but would find a way to win. And I thought they'd they'd uh, pull the point, and I would disappoint. I would uh, disappointed for uh, Slovakia because I think they put up such a good fight in the first half and after the 60th minute mark. Yeah, absolutely right. The other game in this group then between Spain and Sweden. Um, Sam, Spain, of course, completely dominant in this one, but they just couldn't find a way through. Yeah, attack attack versus defence from minute one to minute 90. I think Spain had 85% possession for the game, completed 419 passes in the first half alone, which is a record for the European Championships, which just illustrates how dominant they were in the game, but frustrated for large parts. Morata had a really poor game up top. He had three shots which were all off target and he had that big chance, obviously, where he went one-on-one with Robin Olsen and put it wide. So it was a really difficult game for Luis Enrique's side. Yeah, and there's been a lot of talk, Devon, about Spain's um, kind of new look team going into the tournament. Do do you think they may be feeling a a little bit of pressure to live up to Spain teams of old of 10 years ago, say? I think in my prediction when we did the the group, uh, his sort of setup is that ever since Tiki Taka sort of came out of football's prominence when Guardiola moved over to to uh, Bayern, is that they just they, they seem to be um, stuck in the past a little bit. Um, and even then, when uh, while I was looking closely and thinking that Spain might, you know, even though they like to keep the uh, possession. Um, they might learn, and it was supposed to be like you said, a new look side, which would bring new ideas. But as I've got written down here, I've got pass, 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 slip into a good position, cross, miss, repeat, and it seemed to be like that the whole game. Um, they look like they were trying to mix Tiki Taka of old with you know something that be, uh, that's been dubbed Tiki Italia, um, with how Italy have been pressing and getting the passes in the right areas and tight. And I don't think. I don't think they were able to pull it off as much, and I don't think Sweden gave them the um, the time to real. Well, they gave them a lot of time, but they didn't give them the areas to be able to execute it. In. Um, and just overall, I think a positive would be a couple of key performances. I think Pedri looked really good for his age as well. And but I don't know, it was just a bit of a you you know like some of the other games have started off slow in the first half ended really quickly as one we'll get into probably with the Hungary Portugal game but it just looked like nothing was going to happen anyway even in the latter stages it was looked like looked like um, after about eighty four minutes both teams went oh at least we've got a point and that the sort of any sort of momentum was just nullified straight away could have been even worse for Spain obviously with Sweden having that chance Alexander Isak who's one to one to watch for the tournament I think with a bit of 
individual brilliance setting up Marcus Berg, but he completely spooned his effort from close range. And I don't think he could have done any worse with it. So disappointing, really, for Spain. Yeah, and Sweden definitely deserve a bit of credit. Brad, Victor Lindelof, of course, some Man United man. He put a pretty good shift in for them. Yeah, Lindelof, impressive performance. Uh, and I think in this in this Swedish side, he gets to shine a little bit because in, in the Manchester United side, he's, he's always got Harry Maguire, <clears throat> Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw kind of shadowing him and, and, and eclipsing his performances. And sometimes his performances for Manchester United go, Go unnoticed, but in this Swedish in the Swedish side, he gets to gets to shine and, and really put on his put on his best performance. And you know, he was just solid solid at the back. Um, and just building off what you guys were saying about Spain not being clinical, you know, they they they've got Morata up top. They've not got Fernando Torres up top, which you know you know in the past has has been been excellent for Spain. And Spain have always had a good striker in them, but. They just don't really have it for me this year, and I, I don't think Spain Spain will will go very far in the tournament. Yeah, I think several people do have their doubts about them, so we shall see. Very quickly, then um, we'll touch on Group F, the group that has most recently um, finished its first round of games, starting with Portugal beating Hungary. Um, they beat them three 0 but Sam, they didn't half make hard work of it, did they? Yeah, left it late. Uh, it was a brilliant sight to see a full stadium, Puskas Arena, packed to the brim, 60,000 fans. And that was just, like I say, it's been so long since we've seen that, but left it late. And Ronaldo starred late, as he, as he usually does for Portugal, with again, breaking the record for most goals in the European Championships. And now hot on the tail of that record for most goals in men's international football. So I think that... It was a game they had to win in this group, obviously, and they did in the end and did it convincingly in the last 10 minutes. So they'll be pleased with that. Yeah. Anything um, Anything we want to touch on on Hungary? Because I think that crowd, as Sam said, really did make a difference. Could they cause France a problem? I guess the answer to that is pro- probably not. <laughs> Devin, shaking your head. I think... Um... <sighs> It was just, as I said, um, a lot of teams have come to this tournament with the intention of defending uh, for their lives for a lot, well, for the whole game. And, and it's the trend has been 75-minute mark. As soon as something bad goes on, it seems to come unstuck. And again, this is what happened with with, uh, with Hungary's performance. I think uh, the, the other the side of it is that France would will bring that that they've got the players there to unlock that. They've got the pace to get in behind. They've got everything. They've got uh, they, they barely got out of second gear yesterday, and, uh, and they uh, won the game. And you wouldn't say that Germany looked a, a shoe in at many points, but I don't think Portugal looked like they had any sort of system behind them. Uh, they looked like a little bit, uh, I don't know, just just a bit meh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Despite I the think- three 0 obviously they won three 0 but they just looked a bit to me. They were a little bit gutted. I thought they they had they've had four years to develop a sort of style because we had the same conversations back in 2016. Yeah, I think they will have been disappointed that it took them so long. But I suppose the main thing for them is that they did get the result that they needed. Um, you led us nicely into France against Germany there, Devon, which was a much anticipated game. But as you said there, France weren't at their best. Brad, but um, 
they they also didn't really have too many problems in that game. No, no, they didn't have too much to do at all. And, you know, I might be in the minority here, but I, I just didn't think France looked very good at all. I mean, you know, a 1-0 win against Germany, but you've got to remember they're, they're not playing a very good German side. Um, you know, Germany don't really have anyone too good up top. I think that's where they're going to struggle the most. They don't have anyone clinical. Uh, you know, Serge Gnabry is not really an out-and-out striker. Neither is Kai Havertz. And I thought, I thought we saw a lot in the way that they played Joachim Lowe's formation, that they didn't get the ball out wide enough. Uh, and they, they really struggled to get balls into the box, which I think will be an issue because, you know, the teams that they have to come against, you can't go through the middle. You're going to have to go out wide. And, you know, uh, Kimmich was playing a right wing back, but very rarely got forward. Um, so I think, I think that's going to be an issue, especially in this formation that they're playing. But I'm not too... I don't know. I'm not, if, if I feel like if England were to face Germany, they, they wouldn't wouldn't really struggle, even though it's always England versus Germany, you know, with the, the history. But I don't think England would struggle against them. Um, but I think that, you know, Dev was talking about Portugal uh, not being too impressive. And I think that's because they are built on individual brilliance from Portugal. You know, they've got Bruno Fernandes, you know, Ronaldo, obviously, absolutely excellent individual. Um, but I still, still, I've got Portugal to, to top the group, and I, I still think they will be. They, I feel, I feel like Portugal were better than than France played last night. Obviously, the, the, the competition was different, but I think Portugal, as a whole performance, played better than France last night. I think France weren't at their best, whereas I thought Portugal were a lot better. And I can't wait for that Saturday Saturday game. To be fair, that's going to be excellent. Five o'clock should, should be a good one. Yeah, that was exactly what I was going to ask Sam about that Germany-Portugal game. Is the pressure going to be on for the Germans now, Sam? Surely it will be after a first-game defeat. The problem for Joachim Lowe is he's not really settled on a system or, or a best eleven, really, which is something you really need to be nailing down before a tournament. But I did feel for Mats Hummels in that game as well. He's one of those players that was frozen out, obviously playing in his first competitive game since 2018 for Germany and to score that own goal was was disappointing. But in front of the home support, like I say, it's going to be pressure on for Germany and it's not going to be an easy game against Portugal. Yeah, there are so many um, good games to come in, in that second round. Portugal, Germany, England, Scotland, just to name a couple there. So there, there's going to be lots for us to review um, next week. But I think that's kind of us all tied up um, on this week's episode um, so thank you very much for tuning in we hope you enjoyed it um, Brad thank you for joining us um, we hope you'd be happy to come on again if, if we ever needed to need to bring a sub on um, yeah definitely <laughs> thanks for having me and enjoyed it thank you mate um, as we said earlier on join the fantasy league if you want to get involved with that um, but to be honest, it, it's a, a lot of doom and gloom, the uh, the Euro fantasy. Who knows which players to pick? Um, <laughs> and of course, we can't leave you without mentioning the TikTok account, um, which we kind of mentioned halfway through. There is daily content going up on there. I, I think we've, we've enjoyed kind of taking that on, haven't we? Because it, it, it gives you something to think about um, journalistically kind of as the game is going on. So... If you get a chance, go and check us out over on there at the underscore formation, the same as the Twitter page. 
Um, but that's all we've got time for this week. So we will see you next time. <laughs>